I got lazy. I had great tools for others, but I wasn't taking them to heart for myself and so created a new tool set. That was Rachel talking about her most recent experience with depression, something that has come and gone through the course of her life and required her to constantly evolve how she manages the condition. In this episode of Silent Superheroes, we'll hear about how her journey with anorexia eventually led her to the label depression. Her choice to manage depression by focusing on her self-care rather than medication, and how her personal search for meaning in her work led her to become a coach and eventually found the Resoul Revolution. Remember, Rachel and I are two people talking about our personal experiences living with mental illness. If you have any questions about your mental health or you're considering a change to your treatment plan, please consult with a trained medical professional. My name's James Pratt. I'm the host of Silent Superheroes, and I'm really glad that you're here. Welcome to the Silent Superheroes Podcast, a series of frank conversations about mental health at work. Welcome to Silent Superheroes. I'm here with Rachel. Rachel, welcome. Thank you very much for having me here. No worries. Uh, Why don't you tell us, Rachel, what it is that we're talking about today? So today we're talking about, um, in my mind, how to create awareness around depression, anxiety, how it manifests in people's lives, whether it's in relationships or work. So why don't you tell us about your experiences with uh, with anxiety and depression? I've struggled with it my entire life. It showed up at a very young age, but nobody really knew what it was. I grew up in a household with both parents uh, struggling with depression, mainly my father, uh, who kind of manifested into hypochondria, but it manifested into anxiety, but also uh, volatility. And so as a result, there was a lot of emotional trauma um, as a kid. And I learned to kind of keep the peace in the family and, and hold it together. I was highly sensitive and I would go into very, very dark places um, on my own. And whether it through, was it night terrors or dreams? And I always felt like I had this dark force following me around. Just talk a little more about that dark force. That's mm-hmm. a really kind of interesting way of, of talking about it. It felt like I was cursed. And I would wake up in the middle of the night feeling as if I were being strangled by something um, where uh, or someone was trying to get me. The walls were caving in. I mean, that's really what it was about. Yeah. That was intense. It was intense. Really intense. How old were you when this showed up? Um, I would say from my first kind of memory. Um, and so I had this these repetitive dreams. And still as an adult, I have these dreams, but I can wake myself up out of them and trying to uh, kind of create white light and whatever it is. But it, it, what I realized later in life, it was kind of this metaphor of how depression kind of overcomes where you just kind of fall into a hole and something's trying to suffocate you and you can't get out. You mentioned your, you know, your dad and I think it's really common for men with depression that it comes out as, as anger. Mm -hmm. I don't know why that is. Have you you ever given that any thought? No, I, I, well, I, I think it's fear. I mean, anger, I think, manifests in fear. And I think fear of not knowing what, what was going on with him and um, lashing out. I grew up manifesting into there's something wrong with me. I'm not good enough. Uh, afraid of conflict. Um, trying to be the mediator, smooth things over. And actually, I didn't realize I had 
childhood trauma until it was labeled, I would say, in the past two years. So this showed up for you very young. Talk to us about kind of your experience growing up. How has that affected you as you've as you've grown up? Yeah, um, had a huge impact. You know, I it's interesting because as a kid, when I got into junior high, and for some reason, um, the depression kind of dissipated. But then I w- got into high school, and it really showed up. And I I know high school is a hard time for yeah, a lot of people yeah. with a lot of hormones going around and emotions. And um, it showed up for me where. I would kind of go into that isolated, dark place again and that very sensitive place and friends not knowing what was going on. I didn't know what was going on. And so I was labeled often negative or depressing to be around. And I didn't understand myself. And I'd go into these kind of funks where I just kind of and be, it just feels so the lack of confidence and deep insecurity. And I was with a kind of a, a fun outgoing crowd, but suddenly I would go into these things where I'd lose all my self-esteem and just shut down. So that's in high school. When I left home to go to college, it actually dissipated again. It was my first time away from home, yeah. living away from home. And I think being outside of the environment really helped me to identify who I was on my own and build my own level of confidence, not to be labeled as depressed again. It's almost like you were escaping that environment and that for a minute at least gave you a new yeah, identity. Yeah, kind of like a new, a clean slate. But then it, I left college. I was the only one in my family to have just said, you know what, I'm going to go get my MBA. Um, everybody else was either kind of English or art history. And that was a, I wanted to show up for myself. And part of it was I wanted to be tough. But also I had this deep fascination for business, but I didn't really know what that was about. And in my MBA program, I'm not a math person, an accounting person, a finance person, but where I really shined were around the people aspect. And so I always ended up kind of being the team leader. Um, but it was also around the psychological aspect of how people interacted. And so that was really interesting for me. And that was a time of which I also shown and then moved to Seattle and it showed up again and how it manifested was uh, eating disorders. So anorexia, again, anxiety and depression. And so nobody could deny, you know, I, I had gone through my own entire life denying that I even had depression, trying to keep it together. I really created a, a good persona, at least what I thought, but it showed up in my intimate relationships. And so had to go into a deep kind of outpatient program and one of the other things is I had this belief system that I had to show up. I had to be tough. I wasn't going to be like my family. Um, and so I took these jobs in um, one of the most cutthroat industries was marketing and advertising. It really showed up for me, but I kept it together. I kept it together. But quickly, what happened was I lost my serious like self-confidence that I had kind of started to build up over time. I had a huge, very hard time focusing. I took things very personally. I was labeled as thin-skinned, too emotional. And then what happened was um, I started to go through this weird pattern of layoffs where I was laid off. And it wasn't necessarily, you know, there are other variables that were going on, but it was kind of because I couldn't hack it and I wasn't speaking about it. Nobody understood, you know, and I just couldn't focus. I was really unhappy. And I took these jobs also because I thought I was trying to be someone I wasn't and I wasn't passionate about it. I didn't have a purpose. And so then this whole vortex went into this dark place again. What do you think the the connection there is? You showed up in some workplaces that were not well suited for you. Mm -hmm. What is it, do you think, that makes somebody who has something like depression seek out those environments that Mm. just aren't healthy or right for them? 
Yeah, I think for me, it was kind of this denial and, and I wanted to just try and prove myself that I can hack it. I can overcome this. I'm not weak. And so I wanted to prove to myself over and over again, you know, the unfortunate thing was this self-fulfilling prophecy where I was proving myself that I wasn't that, but I took, (laughs) but I took it, you know, as a negative, right? There was something deeply, deeply wrong with me that I wasn't smart, that I couldn't hack it, that I was weak. Eventually what happened is after probably four different situations, I moved to Whidbey Island to kind of get out. I thought, there's no way I'm ever going back into the corporate world again. I did some contract work. I I loved that time. Um, But it was also this time that I also began to shrink back. And I thought, well, I guess I'll just be a starving artist and, you know, and played really small. Yeah. But it was also a time for me to regroup and and understand what I really cared about and kind of to come into my own. And what ended up happening was this uh, idea of creativity. And I started to design jewelry. And then for me, it was creating from the soul within. And it was really about the essence of who I was, not trying to be someone that I wasn't. And it was just something that came naturally to me. So that gave me not only a sense of confidence. So I woke up four years later to say, you know what? Okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to go back into the game, right? But on my terms. Um, went into the corporate world. I got into HR and mm-hmm. recruiting because really what it was, I wanted to help people with their internal struggles, yeah. but also help them with their careers that played to their strengths and who they really were. Yeah. And recruiting, I learned a ton. It wasn't exactly what I wanted to do quickly. I realized that, but I ended up meeting a coach who was trying to get referrals into Microsoft. Oh. And I thought, oh my God, that's what I want to do. Yeah. And I remembered you know, years back when I was in marketing and advertising, I'd read an article about a woman who was a coach and I thought, that's what I wanted to do. But I told, I totally shut it down. So that's my path where I got started, but it was really about helping people with their own internal struggles and playing to their strengths. Yeah. You've had a hell of a journey. You know, you have this darkness that followed you through much of your life. You went through a number of different uh, career paths on the way. At what point along this journey was the first time someone said, you know, I think you're experiencing anxiety and depression? You know, it's, it's a it's a really good question. Nobody labeled, as an example, when I went into outpatient anorexia as depression or anxiety. It was labeled as anorexia. anorexia right. And so I, again, being so adamant to myself that that was, I did not have it. I was not going to be like my family. I was never going to take medication. I was never going to be like them. And so it wasn't until, and I'm not kidding, probably in the past couple of years where I've actually labeled it for myself. I think that once I actually labeled it, I softened you know, it showed up in many different ways of over-exercising or under-eating or kind of obsessive-compulsive thinking or even vertigo. It, you know, it showed up as vertigo. Yeah. And so all of those are labeled different things. But at the end of the day, the underlying foundation is, you know, the trauma, the anxiety, the depression. And once I embraced that and accepted that about myself. Well, I was getting this sense you were trying to outrun the darkness almost. Now I've recognized it's not running away from it. It's really facing it. I, rather than creating it as a problem and that overpowers, it's accepting who I am and yeah. embracing it, yeah. but not pushing it away, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. But embracing it and what can you learn and how do you leverage that as part of your gift. And so what you do, what I do is, you know, the, these internal struggles, these um, situations are now our gifts to be able to help others. Was there a moment in time when you suddenly you realized like, oh, that's a cloud that's been following me or that's a darkness? 
And for the first time, I'm choosing to look that thing directly in the eye. I think it was this process of EMDR. So again, recent. Right from the past four years. I mean, it kind of, it went, it would dissipate for a while, but then when I go into, it really showed up when I was in um, kind of stressful situations or anxiety showed up, letting those dark thoughts kind of uh, overcome me. And so that's when it showed up, but it was the EMDR that was exactly, she had me do exactly that, like face it. Um, face it and embrace it, but also being able to not be overcome, but to accept and not fight it. Do you remember how that felt? That moment of like, you know, you're in this session, she's like, hey, face it. I'm not afraid anymore because it was this constant, this old, old, dark childhood belief of I'm, someone's trying to kill me, I'm going to be suffocated yeah. or something, yeah. dark force, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, but it, it was like, I'm not afraid. It feels so important for people who are in this space or having these experiences to know that feel scary to look these things in the eye but seems that it's very healing for most people let's say you have anxiety depression or you have a suspicion it's there how do you think someone could build the courage to be able to face it in the way that you did as an example what we're doing right here is you know to for people to understand there's so many people out there like them that as I did for so many years, not to even label it, to deny it and to be in, you know, trying to keep it together. And when I tried to keep it together, what happened? It just blew. Right. Yeah, and yeah. so for people to know that there's so many resources, there's a, awareness being created. There are people, coaches, psychologists, therapists, you know, whatever it is that are going into businesses as an example to create awareness, but to reach out to and leverage all these resources that are out there. Um, from people who have really created some amazing work to help manage it and overcome yeah. it. It feels almost as simple sometimes as just saying it. For me, that was a profound thing, learning to say, like, I think I'm in a depression. In my case, just to be with that for a while, be okay with it, and then slowly the power starts to fade for me. Exactly. I think accepting and, and voicing it. You know, the other thing, it shows the empowerment of the vulnerability that you want others to really emulate as well. Last night, yeah. we were at dinner with um, a couple, couple of couples, but one that we hadn't met before. And um, I mentioned that I was going to be doing a podcast. Uh -huh. And this guy said, well, what is it about? And I told him, you know, yeah. creating awareness around yeah. kind of uh, depression and anxiety, and especially in the workplace. And he stopped. He said, tell me more about that. Mm -hmm. And told him my story and what I was, you know, yeah. going to think about talking about today. And he said, you know what? I get up every day and I wonder how am I going to make it today? How and he he works at T-Mobile and and I thought you don't need to suffer like that and he voiced it at the dinner table and didn't realize that I was creating a safe space for him to do it and as a coach but he just melted into wow there are people out there doing this it's safe for me to talk about and that there's nothing wrong with me there are so many resources yeah. to be able to overcome that because anxiety and depression, I think, can be very, very lonely. Yes, it's very isolating. Very isolating. So that's Rachel. First a child and then an adult trying to outrun a dark force she came to call depression. What's important in Rachel's story is that eventually she stopped running and she turned to face it. Monsters get some of their power from the what if. 
the unknown of what it might do. That monster might have teeth and claws and a terrifying roar, but you'll never know until you face it. Sharing your experience with others takes away even more of the mystique. I first met Rachel when I was considering working with a coach. Having faced the dark cloud, I wondered what she did to keep it under control and how it impacted being a coach. Um, you mentioned your coaching practice, and I'm imagining in some way that those experiences that you have make you a better coach. Definitely. I feel there's this deep sense of compassion and empathy for people who, you know, not identical struggles, but who go into these dark places and to know there's something on the other side. And also at the same time, knowing how to and learning how to take care of myself. I remember actually on Whidbey Island reading or seeing an article. Now this was, you know, 20 years ago. It was a cover of Time Magazine on changing your kind of cellular structure, your DNA of the brain through mindset and through positive thinking and meditation. And I thought, that's what I want to do. And so since then, I've been like just passionate and curious and about the whole idea of neuroscience and the power of mindset and have put myself through literally the rigor and ritual of being able to shift my mindset. And even when I go into those dark places, how quickly then I can bounce back and know that I can get on the other side of it. Part of the coaching is being able to help people with all of the situations, all the tools, all the things that I, you know, that I do to be able to help people to kind of know that there's a way to manage it. It's not overcoming it, it's managing it. You talked about the idea that the brain can, can change. What are some of the resources, some of the books that you read that really helped you build those tools that help you recover and bounce back pretty quickly? Gosh, there's a huge list of them. Carol Dweck, Mindset is, you know, fixed mindset versus growth mindset. And so this idea of growth mindset, Gay Hendricks, The Big Leap is a good book about really identifying unconscious belief systems that are created. And so one of the biggest things that was kind of this foundation of, for me, depression. And so beliefs are decisions that we make about ourselves, right? And so uncovering those, even, you know, we're always peeling the onion, but I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not enough. I work some with Peter Matisse of the Conscious Business Institute. And it's really, you know, his framework is amazing where I not only use it for myself, uh, went through his coaching program a few years ago as kind of an addition to the one that I started uh, 15 years ago. Another person, David Baer, I'm going through his framework now because I I, it's one of the best that I have around this idea of mindset and neuroplasticity and really changing that cellular structure. And it's through ritual of meditation, of really every day, kind of that idea of body, emotion, and language, the somatic thing, and really visualizing and feeling when you are empowered, uncovering those belief systems, creating a new belief system. So those are three of the big resources that I've found recently that are incredibly helpful. Um, Abraham and Esther Hicks are, you know, even on on the other side of it is from a guided meditation standpoint. Again, it's, it's kind of Getting yourself into the place of gratitude is incredibly helpful. Even in the darkest, like looking at a leaf, you know, that anything that can kind of keep you present, being out in nature, exercising, yoga has been a great resource for me. How easy did you find it to consciously do those things, be out in nature, go look at a leaf, exercise, et cetera? Like how did you, how did you get to a place where they come, came naturally? One of the things, and I 
I know that saved me my entire life yeah. was my passion for being in the outdoors and yeah. my passion for running. I was a marathon runner for um, some years. Uh-huh. Can't do it anymore because of my joints. But <laughs> no matter what, I'm out every day in nature, yeah. being around animals, you know. So that came inherently to, or, to me. And I really believe saved my life. It went kind of an extreme on the other sense of, yeah. the, you know, at one point, but every single day getting out. And when, even if I get into a funk, I know I got to get out and move yeah. my body and to be around nature. And so that wasn't always inherent. For me, it's cycling. If I don't cycle to work for a few days in a row, I start to get a little squirrely. It's yeah. just amazing how much exercise can help. And I've had that themes come up before in these conversations. Absolutely. I mean, I, I really think that, and I actually read, um, I've read a few times that it can, um, exercise and the, you know, the endorphins are as effective, if not more than say a medication. Yeah. Yeah. I would never say to someone if they really felt like they needed it not yeah. to, yeah. but it's something that I have found to have been incredibly beneficial and has yeah. saved my life. I have not been consistent with medication. And not to say that I'm against it, but it's really about the exercise and the meditation that really helped me. I take 5-HTP, which is an herb that seems to really, really, really help. You know, being sunshine, (laughs) even the fake sunshine really, really, Uh, really helps. Um, But I have um, experimented, I think it's called cephalexin or cephalex something like that and that didn't really have a huge impact i'm still open to it you know i think i mentioned uh, the last time we talked that i'm considering going back into a corporate environment not sure yet but if i do i would definitely consider taking something that because i have right now the luxury to be able to kind of really take care of myself in the environment that I've created for myself. And a lot of why I chose to have my own business Mm -hmm. and be on the periphery of corporate was because not only did I want to help people out there bring consciousness into business and help them with their own internal struggles and create a growth mindset, but that I get to create my own schedule. So to be able to manage it more effectively. Let's say I'm somebody who is considering taking a new position. Mm -hmm. Let's maybe also say, you know, managing anxiety or depression. How would you help me figure out whether a company I'm choosing is a healthy place for me Mm -hmm. to be? Yeah, no, that's a really good question because that's actually what I, you know, if I were to go internally again, I would really want to understand the company. Is it a purpose-driven company? Mm-hmm. What are their their core values? Um, do they embrace diversity and inclusion? Uh, what are their benefits in terms of, you know, um, time off, personal time off versus vacation to, is it a human-centric company? How do they empower uh, people versus depower um, so there are a lot, and, and that's asking not necessarily yes, no questions, but really understanding the culture of the company and the values of the leader and how that manifests and permeates throughout. There are lots of companies that say, oh, we care about diversity right. and inclusion, <laughs> right? Or, you know, yeah, it's really important for people to take time off, mm-hmm. but that's not real. How do you figure that out? So I think that it's exactly that. You have to understand, well, you talk about it, but how do you walk your talk? So whether it's giving and receiving feedback, what sort of learning and development programs do you uh, provide? The time off, do people really take it versus feeling like, oh, you have all this time off, but you don't feel safe taking it? It's asking the hard questions and um, talking to a lot of different people at the company, not just, say, the people you're interviewing with or for, um, but getting that uh, variety of perspective to see if it really is true. 
you know, and I think of sites like, you know, Glassdoor, for example, mm-hmm. getting a sense of the internal culture that way, although sometimes you can have people who have an axe to grind as well. So, you know, take that with a pinch of salt. The question came into my head uh, to ask somebody who you're talking to, tell me about your last vacation. That's a good question. Right? Because yeah. it's not a direct way. It's kind of an adjunct question. Right. All right, we're two coaches. Let's brainstorm. What other questions should, should people be asking? You know, one of the hard questions, if you want to go straight to it, is what are the resources and programs and what's the awareness that's being created internally in in the organization that helped to address it? And what I think uh, that's a really big question, like how is this environment nurturing and embracing this disability versus we can show up and look like we're functioning? So how do people, what's a safe place? Is the environment safe? What are they doing to address it? What resources? What awareness? Because, you know, oftentimes HR is considered HR, but HR isn't educated. So what education really is around it and how are they embracing it? You've experienced work in a lot of different ways. Like you've been in the corporate place. You've been an artist, kind of Mm -hmm. called an artist. Jewelry designer. Jewelry designer. Mm -hmm. And you run your own business now as a Mm -hmm. a coach. Mm -hmm. How have each of those different experiences contributed to, affected your your mental health? Let's start with, the corporate being internally uh, in kind of years of trying to be someone that I wasn't being in a very cutthroat environment definitely negatively impacted me, especially because I didn't know how one, I was not only myself in denial of what was really happening, but the jewelry was really one of those things for the first time to be, wow, I, I have something of value to share I have this natural ability, not only from a creation standpoint, but from a running a business. And that idea create was really less about the jewelry, but creating from the soul within and helping people find their natural strengths. And as a coach, that's exactly what I do. My yeah. my company right now is Facets Coaching. So yeah. all the unique facets yeah. Yeah. of a gem yeah. is is really, you know, really embracing your unique facets and helping people uh, reach their highest potential and helping people shine. Helping people feel beautiful and those attracted to stones and the qualities and helping people be, you know, shine. This yeah. is exactly the same thing. It's like finding the, finding the jewel within, right? Mm-hmm. You used to kind of help people adorn themselves with jewels. Now you're helping them find, exactly. find that inside. It's yeah. cool. So we were talking about the, the ways work contributed in different ways to your mental health. Mm-hmm. The change that, that I saw as you were talking from that corporate environment to, making jewelry to eventually um, becoming a coach was you found meaning in the work mm-hmm. that you were doing. Maybe as a coach, talk to me about your experiences of how that sense of meaning affects people in their work more generally, you know, whether they have a you know, mental illness or not. So my whole mission in life is bringing consciousness into business. Yeah. And over time, I've developed a workshop series called Leading Through a Different Lens. One of the modules, the first module is, is the lens through which you see yourself and others determines the actions you take and the results you get. Mm-hmm. So the lens, I see myself as an example and through a very different lens and a very positive lens versus a negative lens. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, what opportunities did I shut down or what opportunities did I create for myself? Mm-hmm. So I help people understand that foundation really about the mindset and what's a productive mindset versus mm-hmm. a, a non-productive mindset. And then, um, the second part is, um, finding value, meaning what is your own purpose? So helping people to identify what those core values are, the essence of who they are and being able to articulate them and then creating their own purpose. How do they want to contribute to the world and why do you get, why do they get up every day? And oftentimes people don't have that. They get up, they go through the motions and, 
And um, when you don't have that sense of purpose and that sense of meeting, then even if it's kind of the more mundane task, it's still most, it's really important to have that purpose and that sense of meaning. And, and then as a result, your confidence that you're, you're more likely to take risks and building your own self-confidence. And so there's a modules, you know, modules that I have worked with over time that I have found to be universal issues, not only for myself, but for those people I've worked with and for in the corporate world. So that's how I've helped people in that capacity. So you have this program helps people find their, their purpose, helps them think about how they look at themselves. Let's go back in time and imagine Rachel now could deliver that program to Rachel of the corporate world. How do you think that Rachel would have received that program? If I were to go back in time and someone had delivered that program to me, yeah. um, that's, a, that's an interesting question. I think I would have had a lot of unnecess- years of unnecessary suffering kind of eliminated. Mm-hmm. And I always say, as I found my path, I want to help others find theirs because there were so many years of unnecessary mm-hmm. suffering and not having that meaning and purpose in my life and to, f- and to f- try to be someone that I was and not to accept those things yeah. about myself. And so if I had had that, yeah. I definitely... You know, I'm 47 years old. I'm kind of later on in life, yeah. but I feel like it's just now that I am really taken off, right? And and over, and I've loved my business, but I feel like my business has been as much for me, yeah. the coaching, as it is for others. And so, you know, but no regrets yeah. at all. I think I would have been able to shine sooner. One of the things I've noticed through these conversations is for many people, at some point, the doors kind of get blown open for them, kind of catastrophic situation, you know, suicide attempts, things like that. Mm. I found it less common where people kind of slowly get to the place of realization that, oh, something has to change. But that's what I'm hearing in your story. Mm. Like Mm -hmm. it wasn't kind of a a single moment. This was an evolution into who you are now. Definitely. One of the things that has really sparked something for me was exactly that. I had this idea and I was like, what have I been doing my entire life? And at the end, so I finally, and what hit me was I'm resoling myself like a shoe and I'm in the process of a movement called the resole revolution. Mm-hmm. And whether it's, whether I do a podcast or writing yeah. a book, I've had many people ask me, Hey, you should write a book. Yeah. And it's been the journey. And yeah. so it's a revolution that to me is the next endeavor. Through that, do you intend to help other people take that evolution in a more graceful way? Absolutely. Have more grace with self, whether it's through these modules and tools. You know, my vision is to take people out of their context to create, do workshops, retreats, and doing kind of a, you know, uh, a webinar through it if they can't get away, but to really help people manage, uh, embrace who they are with grace. Absolutely. So I'm just stuck on the beauty of that resoling and the pun inherent in Mm -hmm. it. Um, It's really cool. As a coach, how do you help people build those habits? Those mm-hmm. habits that support themselves. Uh, first of all, it's awareness that there it is even a habit. And then it's that accountability piece as a coach. So the scheduling. So what have they committed to, right? Scheduling time for screen time or scheduling yeah. time yeah. to look at the phone to how do they prioritize their day? How do they start their day out? 
how do they keep it alive during the day? Yeah. As an example, there whether it's affirmations or a mantra, and it's uh, kind of helping them create a, a statement or a few statements. And for me, mine is, I am relaxed, calm, and confident. And I imagine myself when I'm running or when I'm in nature or when I'm with my dog. And that's how I show up. And I visualize it and feel it multiple times a day, but I start my day out that way. So I help people create those rituals throughout the day to be able to do that as an example. You know, from time to time, if you're on something like, you know, Facebook or Instagram, this post will go by and it'll have some nugget of wisdom about how to love yourself or something. But you feel it in that moment. You read that thing and you're like, oh yeah, like that's, that's how life should be. And then it fades really quickly. How do you keep that open? That's a good question. Again, it's, well, it all goes back to ritual. I have a couple of different guided meditations that I listen to in the morning that are uh, 10 minutes each. Uh, when I go for my run, I listen to Abraham uh, and Esther Hicks, uh, you know, yeah. in terms of the gratitude. Yeah. She has something called the rampage. Yeah. And so that keeps me just joyful and happy and motivated yeah. during the day. If I feel myself kind of going to a slump, I have a gratitude journal I'll go to and I'll go back to that gratitude journal to kind of get me back into that from a place of suffering to what I, a beautiful state. It's always keeping it alive. If there's something that resonates with someone, having them take it out and, you know, write it down and to create a, whether it's a journal out of it, but to look at it every single day. I have a book in my backpack that I take everywhere that helps. And so it's creating those rituals and those things that you have found to really resonate. There's a blog that I get called the Daily Ohm, mm-hmm. and there's a blog post that every day. And so I'll kind of go back to that. Yeah. And so even just the little snippet throughout the day kind of keep me going. You have a real system here. Like you are constantly working on it. That is inspiring to me because I have things that I do, but I don't know that I make the effort to do them repeatedly. Mm-hmm. There's always going to be naysayers. Yeah whether it's family, whether it's friends, um, to be proud of who you are, even in the midst of it, um, I think is going to be important. And to really, you know, this, what this idea of a tapestry, right? That it's this, you know, taking into consideration other perspectives, but not making them your, your own. The other thing I wanted to mention is a movie that I saw just recently. It was A Star is Born. Have you okay. seen that? With Lady Gaga and Bradley okay. Cooper. But, um, you know, I literally had to be transported out of the movie theater because it moved me so much. Um, but it was a similar where he saw something in her and she, in terms of being able to sing, and he really pushed her to be her best self and kind of threw her up on stage and watching her fear but then turn into this like this kind of essence this power i have goosebumps even thinking about it and it's a really powerful movie as well you know there's always going to be someone who can see that in you right and to seek out people who see you and mentor you and grow you and who can see that essence and seek out those people i think is really important and even if you're just eyes are open to kind of you know what this is someone I, who can really I can learn from. This is an important thing to remember. I think there's a nuance for me in that, which is you can seek out people who who are like you're great, you're wonderful, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Right. and that's fine. But I almost feel it's more powerful to find somebody who says, "I just accept you mm-hmm. exactly as you are." Exactly, and that you know, feeling safe, yeah. right? So that I accept you, you feel safe to be all of that tapestry, right? Talking about about movies, um, 
So many stories are structured around what's called the hero's journey. You know, we could talk about it at length, but it's essentially, you know, this person who gets called to something, they have their moment, their moment of opening, mm-hmm. you know, and they go on a journey, they overcome, you know, obstacles, they have setbacks, and finally they return home changed. Literally so many movies and stories mm-hmm. are built around that. It seems to me we respond to that story mm-hmm. at a very human level. And maybe mm-hmm. that's because that's what we all want. We all want to become who we're meant to be and not mm-hmm. who we think we are. You have these tools that you've described for helping you to stay in that um, positive, healthy space. What's been your recent experience of anxiety and depression? Yeah, actually very recently. It's crept up for me, especially in the past couple of years, but I would say in particular this summer where I went into a very dark place and was like, God, how did I get here again? It just kind of crept up. For me, I realized uh, a few things. One, try to be someone that I wasn't either, whether it was for clients, also absorbing other people's stresses, Eric's stresses Mm -hmm. as an Uh example, you know, doing a startup and not taking care of myself, setting boundaries and doing too much. And so I notice when it kind of creeps up, it kind of comes up suddenly, but quickly. Yeah, I really had to take 10 steps back and pull out all stops and probably some of the darkest times, but it was also this gift and opportunity to really even go deeper into these unconscious thoughts, unconscious beliefs, and to pull out all stops for myself. And that's why I chose to do this uh, new coaching program to really honor myself and take stock of the direction that I was going with my business and to, you know, seeking out kind of opportunities that weren't necessarily aligned with really what I wanted to do. Once I got clear and took care of myself that way, things like this show up as an example. I feel it actually was kind of this cathartic but necessary process to get me back on path again into a much more expansive way that I'm really excited about. I think the message that I'm taking away from that is that You may have built the best set of tools and the best program to support yourself in the world. And sometimes you'll get it wrong and that's okay. You still have to love yourself coming through that. Exactly. It's an opportunity to to learn. Yes. And I like the word that you used earlier, grace. I think it's um, being kind to self, but also where you mentioned, you know, where I tended, I got lazy. You know, I had great tools for others, but I didn't have, I wasn't taking them to heart for myself. And so created a new tool set for myself. I feel like we've, we've talked around a lot of this and I'm going to ask you to kind of put a point on it, maybe summarize Mm -hmm. it a little bit, but what would you want the world to know? What would you want people Mm -hmm. to know about living with uh, anxiety and depression coming through um, anorexia? I think anorexia, what I found, it was less about the the weight, <laughs> yeah. the, but it was more about, it was the only thing in my life that I felt like I could control. Had I reached out and verbalized what was going on with me, the, what I call the monster in my mind, that yeah. dark force, right. the monster yeah. in my mind, versus being embarrassed about it, I think that there are so many people, um, women in particular, who could avoid going into that self-destruction because it's also about that self-love. I had this dream and I was whittling away and I was a skeleton and I was. That was a moment of, I can't die like this. So there's so many resources and help out there and I can spot someone literally down the street and say, 
and my heart goes out to them. Yeah. It's not just anorexia, but over-exercising too. Mm -hmm. But the, you can feel the monster in their head and to just give them a hug. I think that women who have gone through that can really help each other rise. What would you have people know about anxiety and depression or you know, perhaps as you call it, the monster in your head? Mm -hmm. We're human beings. We're, we all, we're all on the same playing field and it's just you know, whether anxiety, depression, or diabetes, right? Mm -hmm. It's just, it's something that can be managed, many resources that are available, but it's it, learning to accept it and embrace it and manage it versus push it away and feel weak or there's something wrong, especially in a society and in a corporate environment that yeah. typically doesn't um, acknowledge that. And, and the louder you are, the more extroverted you are, the whatever it is, and to choose situations, to choose environments and situations that are right for you, that uh, which is what I didn't do for so long. I kept throwing myself into these very awful uh, kind of environments that just not only triggered it, but weren't healthy for me. What have we not talked about at this point that's important to, to talk about for you? This experience actually has empowered me to support your mission, but to also reflect on my journey and be really proud of myself and to also voice it, which I haven't necessarily voiced it in this context yeah. before. The other thing that came up for me was, you know, I started writing and, and as a kid, I was like, you know, victim, victim, victim. But it, it's not about the victim. It's more about the seeing it through a different lens of when not only is it my gift of who I am, but to have that empathy and compassion and moving out of the blame of family, especially when in relationship with someone who doesn't have depression, to understand and be confident about how I need or someone needs to take care of themselves in that because that person, rather than getting angry at them that they don't understand, to not only seek out support from people who do, and so how to protect your energy and rejuvenate. It's uh, being kind and gentle yeah. to self and uh, scheduling, literally scheduling that time to do that. In terms of your questions, I thought that we covered a lot of them, but it was the, the writing journey was really um, amazing for me. And also I could see this visual of my, you know, the Riesel revolution of yeah. kind of the, here's the story in the Riesel revolution. You mentioned your website. Your website is facetscoaching.com. I have one more question for you. I want you to go back in time and be with that young woman going into an outpatient facility, mm -hmm. very thin, very mm -hmm. skinny. If you can go back and be with that person, what do you want them to know? I think that rather than saying there's something wrong with you, you're going to this outpatient, you're broken, yeah. basically, yeah. to I love and accept you and to hold you and I'm here for you because that in itself was very isolating. You know, not only that I know something was wrong, it was visible to everybody else yeah. now and yeah. that I was somehow broken, mm -hmm. but to have someone and or people and not to blame family or even friends because they didn't know how to deal with it. But I think that awareness to I love and accept you no matter who you are and you're safe is probably one of the biggest things that could have made an impact for me. That's amazing. Rachel, you have had one hell of a journey of healing. I want to say thank you for sharing that journey with us today. I look forward to finding out more about the Resoul Revolution. Thank you. This has definitely triggered it for me. Anything else you want to say before we wrap up? 
Thank you so much for having me here and, and also creating a safe space to tell my story and empowered me and to share that story. But also, I'm just so excited to be a part of your movement. Thank you. To be able to help people create awareness um, and to help people feel like they're not alone. And I think what you're doing is one of the most important things that you can possibly you. do for people, um, especially in the corporate world. Rachel, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. That was Rachel, a coach who has experienced anorexia living with depression that she manages by focusing on her self-care. What inspired me most about Rachel's story is her discipline and commitment to her program of self-care. And that commitment is what allows her to support others in their journey. With her resale revolution underway, Rachel is exploring joining the corporate world full-time. There are a lot of companies out there whose culture, whose approach to HR and the managers that they hire are, frankly, toxic for someone with depression. But don't lose hope. There are some companies out there who truly care about their people and their mental health, and they care about those employees, whether they have a mental illness or not. The hard part is finding them. Rachel suggested some great questions to ask, and I wish her well as she looks for the next step in her journey. Remember, Rachel and I are two people discussing our experiences living with mental illness. If you have any concerns about your mental health or you're considering changing your treatment approach, please consult with your medical professional. Please leave a rating and a review on iTunes. If you want to get new episodes as they're released, you can join our mailing list at silentsuperheroes.com or you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash silentsuperheroes. Take your mental health seriously. If you need to speak to someone, you can call 1-800-273-8255 or text crisistextline.org at 741-741. Both provide 24-7 confidential counseling to people in the United States. Worldwide, visit iasp.info slash resources slash crisis underscore centers slash to help others find the Silent Superheroes podcast, please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting service.